living known, we're going to basically spend the next 25 minutes to 30 minutes together learning another aspect of communion and our relationship with Jesus Christ. I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word. Beginning at verse 6, going through verse 8. Romans 5. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. May God add the blessing to the reading of His Word. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I got a simple question this morning. I think you know the answer, and I already know the answer, unless you're just not telling us the truth and yourself the truth, because God already knows the answer too. Just want to show the hands. Anybody here a sinner? Anybody? Okay. Anybody not a sinner? I'm looking. Okay, so we're all in the same boat. That's a good thing. Because that means Jesus died for you and me. That's a good thing. And I'm so thankful that I'm not the only one up here going, well, I guess I'm preaching to the choir. And I'm the choir. You don't want me to be the choir. (laughs) Um, But... The reason I mention that is because Jesus Christ knows our status. That we are not righteous. There's none not righteous. Scripture tells us that. No, not one. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've heard these verses before. We understand that our righteousness is as filthy rags. We know that of ourselves, we don't get anything in the kingdom of God. Correct? It's fairly basic, right? But here's what happened. On the night that Jesus died, I mentioned this is going to be a communion sermon. We're going to start the process with the sermon and end it with communion. On the night in which he was to die, uh, betrayed, excuse me, he took bread and he broke it. Why do you think he did that? Now we have all the reasons for why, but I think he was telling us he knows who we are. He saw us and that we needed His body to be broken. Now, it wasn't a comfortable experience. And when He broke the bread in half, I imagine He saw Himself being broken also the same way. And it had to be, um, if you know how you're going to die, and you know that you're going to die, the expectation is often worse than the reality. That's kind of like medicine or a shot. Thinking about it is worse than the actual experience. Um, uh, Always has been that way. But He broke His body, or His body was broken for us actually on Calvary and through all the things that He went through on the way up to that. But what He was saying is, I see you to the disciples. He also said that to you and I in the same moment. I see you. You are broken too. But you can't fix yourself. Your body is already running rampant with sin and the effects thereof. And you can't fix it. There's nothing you can do for yourself. I see you. 
I understand who you are. I understand that you need an act of grace that you can't give yourself, that the Father can't even give you. Hear that? There was one thing God couldn't do. He couldn't change the fact that you and I were unrighteous. He couldn't fix it. Amazing. But the Father could not take care of that. But when He broke it, He also said, not only did He see us, but He knew us. He could see the condition of our heart, of our lives. And so, when we partake of that, we're saying to Jesus, I understand that You did this because You understood I couldn't do it for myself. Have you ever, in your life, ever experienced such deep and profound love that your life was transformed. I was talking with a friend of mine a couple days ago, and I asked, I said, have you ever really been loved? The answer was no. I don't think so. I think I've been held with expectation, judgment, what they could get from me, but never was I really loved. And Jesus Christ, for the first time in our lives, says, I love you and you do not deserve this. I'm doing this to show you my love. In Romans chapter 5, which we just read, it says, God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I've read these verses a lot. And, and we're going to look a little later in, into Romans 6 which puts some more of the pieces together, and you'll see that this is a huge statement. And I didn't understand how powerful this was until I began looking at what this message meant to the men at Kairos. You say, Kairos. Yes, that's the Edible State Prison where I was at. And I saw that finally someone saw them for what they were. Sinners in need of grace. Hear me. Sinners in need of grace. Not sinners in need of judgment, of rejection, of punishment, of being treated less than human, but sinners in need of grace. They were seen as a person of value when grace was offered to them. When someone offers you grace instead of judgment, they're seeing that you need that. I ask you again, have you experienced that? Have you known that in this world? Most of us are kind of like if you ever seen a dog that's been hit. Every time someone comes up to it with a hand, it cowers. Even if it's just one time, and the rest of the time it's love. The dog never stops cowering. Because it can't remember that love is coming too. It thinks in its mind, I did one thing bad, therefore I'm bad. We also as Christians get that same mindset, God, I did unrighteousness, I'm ungodly, I'm unholy, therefore I'm unworthy. And all I deserve is judgment. After all, I did. I'm guilty. If someone were to ask you today, as I just did, have you ever sinned? If so, you're guilty. And we all stuck our hands up. We're saying, I'm guilty before Jesus Christ is being sinned. But it doesn't mean you're a bad thing. 
It means you need grace instead of judgment. Do you know that God sees you that way? In need of grace, not condemnation. A lot of people see God differently than that. They think God's like Santa Claus, checking to see if you're good or bad and rewarding you for good, punishing you for bad. God's not like that. God said at your worst is when He loves you the most. Because that's what you need the most to transform who you are. God doesn't ask you to be something you're not. He asks you to acknowledge that you are who you are. And maybe you think about this the way I do. Because I have this overbearing sense of responsibility in my mind. If I've done something, I deserve the consequences of it. After all, I did it. And here's God saying, in Jesus Christ, I'm paying your consequences. And I'm going, but He's innocent. He didn't do it. And justice to me is I get what I deserve for what I've done. And whoever else gets what they deserve for what they've done. That's my sense of justice. And it's fair that it's right. If you've done it, acknowledge it, and let the things fall where they may. And, and a lot of people don't, well, no, 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 you can't do that because Jesus paid your price. Yes, He did. He paid our price, but we forget part of the story. You see, on the night when she was betrayed, He broke the bread. That was to signify He recognized our brokenness. Our apartness from God because of it. But that's only half the story, isn't it? He didn't just institute communion with bread. He also instituted it with the cup. And the cup, the cup has multiple properties, if you will, in it, or multiple meanings for us as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now here's how I think sometimes. Regardless of whether I'm forgiven or not, I still did the thing. My heart still feels sinful. Can't seem to shake the memory of it. No matter if He says, I've washed as far away as the east is from the west, I still remember it. Although in Hebrews chapter 13, He says, your sins and iniquities, I don't remember anymore. I still do. Wonder why. And I had some trouble with understanding why that was until I began to put Romans 5 with Romans 6 and a couple other choice verses that explain this for us. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we hear the following words. Maybe you've heard this verse in a lot of different contexts, but I like it in this one. It says, if we confess our sins, now, not if we confess we are a sinner, We've all just done that. If we confess our specific sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, which is what we need, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, here's the problem that I have with that and where God had to do some work on me. And I think if you are kind of overly sense of responsibility, you might have this too. That God said, okay, you're now righteous, 
And now you're my son and his image is on you and you're clothed in his righteousness. And I'm going, yes, but I still did that stuff in the past. He said, yes, but I've forgiven that. I said, I know, but I've still done that. And here forward I can be righteous. But it doesn't undo that. How can I undo that? I have to have the price paid for that because I did that. Right? It's justice after all. And God says, I'm cleansing you from all the unrighteousness. So I had to understand that here forward, righteousness is going forward. And He's saying, no, you're missing this. It goes backward too. God's cleansing work in our lives goes backward too. And I said, how is that possible? How in the world can you do that? I am, after all, the person I am. And we all say, I need that forgiveness and cleansing. The body, broken, as Christ said, was for sin. He was broken for our sin. It's taken. But He takes the cup. Blesses it. Thanks the Father for this cup. And when I'm done this morning, I think you will be too. He says, this is my blood. The blood of a new covenant. I'm giving to you. shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it all as you will in remembrance of me. It's the blood of a new covenant. Lifeblood for the forgiveness of sin. Now we've heard these words every time I shared communion. But we haven't heard it like this. Jesus says, it's a new covenant. Well, the new covenant means it takes the place of the old one. That means the old one is done away with because the new one's better. Scripture tells us this. And the blood is for the forgiveness of sin, which means if you partake of it, you accept the terms of the new covenant. And we think the new covenant, for some reason we've watered it down and think the new covenant is just the forgiveness of sin because that's what He says. But the new covenant isn't just the forgiveness of sin because we still did the act. And someone has to die for it. According to Scripture, shedding blood is what takes care of the forgiveness of sin. However, Jesus said His blood was shed to cover our sin so our blood doesn't have to be shed. And that's great. But it doesn't stop me from thinking, well, I still did that. How's that cleansing me from all unrighteousness and impurity? I'm still remembering it. And that's where the Scripture, you have to look a little further. And I'm so thankful that our Bible doesn't leave us hanging on this. This blood is for new life. Right? New covenant, new life. The blood, hear me, when Jesus talked about new wine, what did He say? It's put in. New wine skins. And I never understood that verse until I began to look at this this week. It says that He put new wine and new wine skins because He put it in the old ones. They're frail. They're going to burst. So you have to put it in new ones. Well, didn't He just say, this is a new covenant. This new life blood, which blood is the life force, 
needs to go in a new wineskin. But I'm the same old guy. You're the same old person. How can you be a new wineskin? And that was where I got stuck. And we get stuck there if we don't remember something. And it's so clear in the Scripture that it tells us this that we overlook it because it's like, what? Does that really say that? The answer is yes. Yes. Because He knew there was a problem. But He saw the problem in each of us. We were known. Understood. Cared for. Loved in a way we don't understand. And if we break this down and make it so simple, all you do is believe in Jesus except that He died for your sins, you're missing the whole story. Because there's another part. It's the rest of the story. It's the new covenant that goes in new wineskins, which you are. But we don't hear this very often because to talk about it, you have to understand. And not a lot of people talk about it because they just want people to get saved but not live in the new wine state with the new blood and the new wine. I don't know why we shortchange one another when this happens. But He died for us is only half the story. In Romans chapter 6, it's going to be up on the screen here for you. Beginning at verse 3, it says this, Do you know, do you not know, excuse me, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized... It's not up there. I didn't pull it up. Alright. I'll read it to you. I am. We're baptized into His death. Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, he's talking about that the baptism we identify with his death. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In other words, Jesus Christ's resurrected glory is what we shall be like. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Remember, if you pay for your sin with your lifeblood, you're free from the consequences of those sin because it's your lifeblood. pays for it. It's blood. So if you die, you no longer are responsible for the consequences because you paid it. Does that make sense? Death is what sin's consequences are. The wages of sin, shall we say, is more sin, and the wages of more sin is death. That's the wages. And so it says, once you've died, you're no longer slaves of sin, for whoever's died is freed from it. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Jesus rose once for all time, right? He's alive forevermore. Amen? Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for everybody. Once for all. But the life that He lives, 
He lives to God. Jesus is resurrected. Remember, He took our sin upon Himself, paid the price with His life, and therefore, since He took it on Himself, it's paid for. We know this. He's resurrected. He no longer has to pay for it with death. He lives to God now. The sin no longer has dominion on Him. He no longer has to pay the wages of death. We know this. And it says, but likewise in verse 11, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we also have this ability when we are in Christ, redeemed, partaking of His new covenant, alive to God. And our little brain, my little brain, I'm not going to talk about yours, my little brain keeps saying, yeah, I could be alive to God, but I still remember. I still know about it. How can I be cleansed from this unrighteousness and have a pure heart? Well, it's interesting because we have two more pieces to this thing to put in place for you. And the next one's in Ephesians chapter 2. And here's what Paul writes, and I think you'll like this. It says, But God... (laughs) One of the most powerful statements is all the problems we got in our lives. But God, who is rich in mercy... Now, Now follow this. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve that you did wrong. God in His mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, there it is again, loving us as unrighteous people, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come He might show to you and to me the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Now what He says here is that us dead in trespasses He made alive and raised us up with Jesus. There's a hint there. Hopefully you're getting this. What can be raised up but that which is dead? What else can be raised up to life unless it's dead? You can't resurrect something that's still alive. It's impossible. I can't walk up to someone who's walking around talking and go, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk and carry your mat because they're already doing it. It's ridiculous. But this Scripture says that He has raised us, you and me, up together. Now, a lot of people want to say, well, doesn't that mean that He has raised us up into heavenly places in Jesus Christ together? Well, absolutely it means that, but it means a whole lot more than that because He can't put you in heavenly places unless you are righteous. And how can He put you in heavenly places if you're right, unless you're righteous through and through? Because if there's sin and stain on you, He can't invite you into heavenly places. So think about that for a moment. 
And then listen to what Paul says. You see, he doesn't put it all in the same place. you got to study. <laughs> and I spent some time looking for this so you wouldn't have to. In Colossians chapter 3, he tells us what I like to call the rest of the story. He says, If then you were raised with Christ, which is what we just said in Ephesians 2, that He's raised us up together, Seek the things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things of the earth. And here's verse 3. For you died. You died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Alive to God in Jesus Christ. Just like it says in Romans 6.11 on the screen there. Now, take this for a fact. That you died when you came to Jesus Christ and gave Him your life. He took your life. And He paid the cost of your sin on the cross, but He died your death. But you still die. Don't miss this. This is the most important part of the Gospel. You died. On Calvary, you no longer exist. You have died in Jesus Christ. He has taken your place, but it's still your place that was taken, and therefore, you died. And therefore, all the responsibility that we feel we need to pay for what we've done has been paid by the shedding of our blood in Jesus Christ. Because I died there. You died there. We died. So that He could raise us up in the new blood covenant to a new life. Why? Because we couldn't do it for ourselves and die in our sin and be raised up to new life. He had to do it for us so we could experience it now. To repent and believe the Gospel and forsake yourself and live to God. Why? Because you're dead. You no longer exist. And a lot of people want to argue with that when I tell them that, and they'll say, No, I'm still here. I still remember. No, that, that's the old you. Paul all the time says, The old man is gone. He's gone. You can try and bring the memory, just as we do at funerals for a person who's no longer with us, we bring their memory, but they are gone. We have a memory of the old self, but the old self is dead. And the memory is not the reality. God knows this about you. If the memory were the reality, we would have no hope. But that's why God says, I will remember it no more. So that you can also not live under the memory of the old self and keep harboring it against you and letting the enemy tell you that you're unworthy. God knew you needed that. He knew I needed that. Because I kept telling God, but I, I don't want Him to pay my price. He said, 
Do you want freedom? Do you want kingdom of heaven reality? Do you want to be with me forever? Yes. And so this is the only way. But, but God, it's not fair. That's not justice to me. He said, well, okay, I'll tell you what. You're dead. Okay, that works. Yeah. You paid the price. You died. I did? Didn't hurt too bad. <laughs> How far did you die? <laughs> How much did you surrender? How much did you give up of what you thought mattered? How much of your old self died when you came to Christ? How much of the false reality did you let go of when you came to Christ? This is the question. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says something that it just... It almost... Seems like, oh no, 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 you couldn't you couldn't have just thrown that in there, could you have? Why did you do that? And and, and, and if you don't put it in this context, you miss it. It's chapter one, verse twenty. Uh, some of us have may have even memorized this verse. It says All the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes. And in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. If and since God can take a broken sinner like us and kill us off and let us still be alive to live for Christ, isn't that good? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? That's the new covenant. We are alive because we resurrected from His death by baptism, by belief, by being crucified of the old self in Jesus Christ. Why? Because otherwise we're going to have to do it ourselves and it doesn't do any good for God for us to be laid in the grave for eternity. He wants people to love Him who understand that He understood our plight. That He understood you. He didn't judge you. He's not holding these records and accounts against you. He's saying, I see you. That you're crawling in the dark, trying to find a way, and you can't. Because there is no way other than Jesus Christ, who is light. Once again, Romans chapter 5. And tell me this isn't us. For when we were still without the strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He did that for me. Because my death for me wouldn't have done anybody any good. <laughs> it wouldn't have had a soul. But he says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Or perhaps a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God's love shows us that He died for us. Father, we had sinners. Have you ever experienced that kind of love? If you do, it will transform your life because you'll be standing... And this is what it looks like if, you, if it were from another human. You're standing there as guilty as charged. And you want nothing to do with a better life. With holiness. Nothing. 
And someone comes along and says to you, I'm going to take those charges because the law doesn't say who has to pay for those. I'm going to take them on me and I'm going to bear your consequence. And your record is going to say that you have paid those in full because they're your consequences. Hear me. Your record says you paid it in full when you belong to Jesus Christ. That if you die, that is the good news of the Gospel. That is the new covenant blood that says we're broken and Christ is broken. And the new covenant, since we're broken, we, He doesn't stitch us together. He puts us into new wineskins. We are new wineskins and we're resurrected with Him. This is what we celebrate in community. This is what we talk about by being alive and known to God. I asked you at the beginning, are you a sinner? We all raised our hands. Jesus died so you could live a different life than a sinful one. Our communion today, I ask you to do this remembering that as you take the body and the blood, you're saying yes to that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for the blood of the new covenant. Thank You that You raised us up in Christ Jesus. You raised us up as a new wineskin with new life. And You've done that. It's miraculous. It's grace. It's mercy. It's everything about You that we could not do for ourselves. And I thank You that You love us like that. And You did it because You knew us as broken. <coughs> Tragic. Desperate. And yet, unwilling to acknowledge that we needed help. Thank You that You loved us when we didn't even care. And now You love us even more because we've been adopted into Your family as sons and daughters, worthy of the kingdom, full heirs through what Christ has done, innocent through us, and we have identified with that and become one with Him. God, continue to change us and transform us by Your Holy Spirit even as we partake of these elements. I ask You to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gathered here and upon this bread and the fruit of the grape, that it would be for us the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that we would be the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in this world, living out the new covenant. Heavenly Father, I thank You that all power and honor is Yours and all glory is Yours both now and forever. Amen.